Well, that was a delight to worship with you so far in this worship service. I'm glad that you're here. We are looking into the fruit of the Spirit, and I have the, had the opportunity this last week to just come across an old diary that I had kept several years ago, and I was surprised as I was reading through it that I came across a note that I had made during the first time that I studied through the fruits of the Spirit. And this is what I wrote. I said, I can't think of a study that has so challenged my attitudes and changed my life than the fruit of the Spirit. And I have to say to you, I am experiencing that all over again as I'm going into this fresh voyage into these qualities. After all, these are the fruit of the Spirit. These are attributes of God. And when you think about considering God's character, there is nothing more beautiful or awe-inspiring a human can do than to consider the character of God. But then when you try to appropriate that character, those qualities, into your own life, there is nothing more challenging a human can do and to try to make those attributes of God our own. But it is a beautiful thing. Just imagine what your relationships would be like if they were governed by the fruit of the Spirit. If you interacted with people on the basis of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. You might think to yourself, there's just no saving my marriage. And that may be true. But I'd ask you, have you tried the fruit of the Spirit? You might say, there's just no saving this friendship. There's no saving this relationship with somebody at work. There's just no saving this relationship with somebody in my family. And maybe not. But I'd ask you, have you tried the fruit of the Spirit? The fruit of the Spirit are taking the attributes, the characteristics of God and bringing them into our life. And when we do, we are actually bringing a little bit of heaven onto earth. Doesn't that sound good? And this morning we're con going to consider the fruit of kindness together. This quality, I think, seems out of place in this mean and harsh world. I've come to believe that harshness has become the American accent. We communicate with each other with raised voices and raised fists in the realms of politics and religion, even in our own bedrooms and kitchens. We've learned to communicate with each other with this kind of meanness. I think that most people are okay with kindness occasionally. But they understand, at least they think they understand, that practically you just can't get ahead in this world by being kind. It makes me think of Lady Macbeth in that play written by Shakespeare. She got angry with her husband because she believed that her husband lacked that sense of ruthlessness needed to get ahead in this world. And so she famously mocked him and said, he is too full of this milk, this weakness of human kindness. Kindness is considered a weakness. 
always has been. Unless you have tasted that the Lord is kind. And when you taste the kindness of the Lord, not only do you see it as one of the sweetest things in life, but you see it as one of the most powerful and strongest things in life. So what is this kindness that we're going to be examining today? What is this fruit of the Spirit? Kindness. I want to say to you, that's not an easy question to answer. Our English dictionaries don't do us much good. Even biblical dictionaries, Bible dictionaries, for various technical reasons, aren't very good at defining this word. And so what I've done in preparation for this sermon is I've looked at every occurrence of the word kindness in the New Testament. I have seen how that word is used in its context. And from that come to what I hope is a helpful definition of the kindness of the Spirit. And what I've come to think it is, is kindness is an attitude. First of all, it's an attitude. It's an attitude of compassion towards others. This attitude then leads to an action. An action where you meet the needs of others. And then the object of this action is people who don't even deserve it. Those three aspects describe what I believe the Bible teaches about kindness. It's an attitude of compassion that moves you to help meet the needs of others who may not even deserve it. It was also helpful to me to consider the connection between the word kind and kindness. And when I talk about kind, I'm talking about how it's used in Genesis chapter 1, where it says that the animals and the plants, they produced according to their kind. And so kind has to do with a group of things, people, plants, animals, that share certain characteristics. And so you see this big old animal that's got this trunk out there, and you go, oh, I know what his kind is. He's an elephant. And then you see this animal out there, it's got this big old long neck on it with these spots all over it. You go, oh, I know what that is. That kind is a giraffe. Because it shares various attributes in common, they are a kind of thing. Now, what's the character, what is the connection between kind and kindness? Kindness is when you see a need in someone else. And you meet that need in a way that is fitting to it. You see, the word kindness describes things that fit together. The reason they fit together is because they're alike. And kindness is the expression of an action that fits together with somebody else's needs. So, for example, if somebody has done you wrong, you know what they need? They need your forgiveness. And when you meet their wrong with your forgiveness, that's kindness. It's the kind of thing kindness does. You see? And so when that person is an emotional need and you see it and you go and you talk to them and you try to encourage them they have a need and what they need is they need your encouragement and it fits together that's kindness kindness is when you have compassion for someone's need which drives you to meet that need personally and sacrificially even when they don't deserve it you know so far so far in the fruit of the spirit we've 
in the, we have looked at a number, love, joy, peace. Last week, we looked at the idea of patience, or a week before last. And as we looked at patience, we saw that patience deals primarily with this problem of anger. The word patience means slow to anger. And so when we are tempted to be angry with people and with circumstances, patience swoops in and helps us deal with our anger. But this next one, kindness. Kindness helps us deal with a different problem, and that is the problem of indifference. Where we look at the people around us who are all full of needs, and we see circumstances around us that need all kinds of help, and we just want to turn a blind eye and do our own thing. We want to be indifferent. The Spirit of God moves us to be kind. And it helps us deal with this problem of indifference. And so, kindness is this characteristic of God that moves us to act personally and sacrificially to meet the needs of others even when they don't deserve it. Now, let's see this, first of all, in the kindness of God. God is our description of kindness. And when you look at the kindness of God, what you see is that Jesus, who teaches us to love our enemies, to say good things about them when we can, and to do good things for them at all times, is the one who modeled that kind of kindness towards humanity. Jesus said in Luke chapter 6 and verse 35, But love your enemies, do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the ungrateful and evil. So you be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. You see the attitude? The attitude is what? Mercy. Mercy is that idea of compassion for someone who doesn't deserve it. And that compassion for someone's needs moves you to do what they need regardless of they deserve it. And that's what Jesus says God does. All the time in this world, there are people who treat God with indifference. They're ungrateful. There are people who live evil lives outside of His created purpose for them. And yet, what does He do? He sends the rain and the sun upon the just and the unjust. He feeds them. He helps them. God is kind regardless of who we are. And I tell you, that puts some power into kindness, doesn't it? Sometimes we exclude from our kindness people we believe don't deserve it. After all, don't you know what they did? They don't deserve kindness. And then God comes along and says, No, that's exactly the moment that you are to express kindness if the Spirit of God is working in you. If you have the fruit of the Spirit, you're kind even to the ungrateful and evil. Now, of course, the purpose of this kindness is that God wants to draw us to Himself through this kindness. This is the message that is seen in the book of Revelation, in the book of Romans. In the book of Romans, God constantly shows that the purpose of His kindness is to woo us to Himself. You know, I believe that kindness does that about as good as anything possibly can. You can't drive people to yourself. Meanness, power, they may show up, but their hearts are not there. 
But the way that God brings us or draws us to himself, woos us to himself, is through his kindness. We see this, for example, at the beginning of Romans chapter 2, verse 3. Romans 2 and verse 3 says, Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things, and yet you yourselves do them, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? You see, God's kindness is what draws us away from the world and sin and self and leads us back to him. And soon as we start forgetting how good God has been to us, as soon as we forget his kindness to us expressed through his creation, through his providence and through the cross, as soon as we forget God's kindness, we will wander away from him and not even know it. It is his kindness that woos us back to himself. And of course, when it doesn't, there's an alternative to the kindness of God, and that is the wrath of God. And that's what Paul deals with at the end of this section in Revelation chapter... Oh, I said it again, didn't I? Romans chapter 11 and verse 22. He says, Note then the kindness and the severity of God. Severity towards those who have fallen, but kindness to you provided you continue in His kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. There is such a thing as the severity of God. But please note carefully that Paul says the severity of God is there for the purpose to draw us back into His kindness so that He can graft us back in again. Yes, the prophets, yes, Jesus, and yes, sometimes the writers of the New Testament would speak in rather strong uh, words. They would speak with the severity of God, but don't miss the purpose for which they did that. They spoke with the severity of God in order to break down hard hearts so that they might turn back to the kindness of God. God's kindness is given towards the ungrateful and the evil, and its purpose is to draw us to himself. Why? So that in Christ Jesus, we might be forgiven and have eternal life. We find this in Titus chapter 3. What, listen to these beautiful words. Titus 3 and verse 4. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness. It's not because we're good. We are the ungrateful. We are the evil. He says He saved us according to His own mercy. You see the, the attitude? Compassion. By the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom He has poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace 
we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. What God's kindness has done is it has looked down upon us to see our every need. And even though we have been ungrateful and undeserving more times than we can count, He has met our need in Jesus Christ and through His benevolent goodness in creation and providence so that He might draw us to Himself. So that having come to know the kindness of our God, we see it's most ultimately described in the work of Jesus Christ upon the cross, who not only draws us to Himself because He is kind, but upon the cross His kindness met our need. What is our two big needs? We are sinners. We need forgiven. And we are dead and dying people. We need eternal life. And His kindness matched up with our need and gave us forgiveness and eternal life. That's the kindness of God. Now, I've spent some time with this because I want us to understand again the reason that we are to be kind people is not just because we want to be sweet little nice folks and we want to have nice relationships. We want to bear the fruit of the Spirit, which is kindness, because it, reflect, it is a reflection of God. And that means that I act in kindness even when it's challenging and difficult because I am seeking not just to be a sweet, nice little person. I am seeking to reflect and grow into the character of Christ. That's our goal this year, isn't it? Grow in Christ. Kindness then is more than a smile we flash to a friend. Kindness is a gritty compassion to help people in need personally and sacrificially, especially when they don't deserve it. Well, how does that kindness of God look like in us? Well, this is what the New Testament teaches. It teaches us first that this kind of kindness <laughs> is a gauge of spiritual maturity. You know, sometimes we think, well, how do you know a person is spiritually mature? Well, how long have you been coming to church here? Oh, good, you must be spiritually mature. Uh, your family have been Christians a number of years? Great, you must be spiritually mature. Nope. Spiritual maturity is a reflection of the appropriation of the character of God in us. And this is what uh, Peter wrote about it in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 1 through 3. He says, put away all malice, all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn babes or infants, long for the pure spiritual work, milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. That word good right there is the same word in Galatians 5 and verse 22 that says the fruit of the Spirit is kindness. It's the word kindness. When you have tasted the kindness of God, you quit fighting like the world fights. You put away malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. And you start to appropriate the kindness of the God that you have come to know in the relationships that you have. And in this way, you grow up into your salvation. God has saved you to become like Him. 
And one of the measuring sticks, one of the gauges that we are spiritually mature is our kindness. Uh Uh-oh. Let's look at it. In the way that you deal with your wife, in the way that you talk to your husband, in the way that you act at work, in your relationship with your family and your friends and members of the people of God, would you say that you are a kind person? That by compassion, you see the needs of people around you. And you personally and sacrificially help meet those needs, regardless of whether they deserve it. That's the sign of spiritual maturity. Well, let's think about what that takes. First of all, to express this kind of kindness practically, I would suggest that you listen to uh, Nathan's sermon at the 9 o'clock worship hour on just a continual rotation this week. He talked about the golden rule in such a powerful way. If you lived what he talked about in that lesson, this week you'd be transformed in kindness. It was just beautiful. And one of the things that he said is that kindness needs to be heard in the words that we use with one another. Unfortunately, kindness is killed sometimes by the way that we talk about faith and politics. And Paul says that shouldn't be the case. Listen to these words in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 24. <clears throat> the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them a repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. He says we are to be kind, patient with everyone, gentle with everyone. There's our list of the fruit of the Spirit there. And what is intriguing about this is this is the attitude that Timothy and Uh, we are to have towards false teachers. Now, certainly false teachers need to be corrected. They need to be instructed. But it doesn't give us the right, just because they're wrong, to treat them with unkindness. He says, treat them all with kindness, patience, and gentleness. Why? Because that has the power to bring them into the truth and escape the snare of the devil. That's how Jesus saved us. Not with whip, not with anger and hatred, but he did it through kindness. And we're to do the same for others. I came across a story by Rosarita Butterfield. She was a homosexual activist. And she wrote a piece about a church in her area because she believed that Christians in her area were, quote, poor thinkers, judgmental, and hateful. And so she wrote a piece about that. And she got a huge response to what she wrote. And so she started to divide the responses into two groups. There was hate mail and there was fan mail. And then she got this letter from a Christian and his wife. And as she read it, she said, quote, It was a kind and inquiring letter. It had a warmth and civility to it, in addition to its probing questions. 
and she couldn't figure out where to put that letter. Was it fan mail or was it hate mail? She didn't know where to put it. Sat on her desk for a week until she finally picked up the phone and contacted this couple, met with them, developed a friendship with them, which was integral to her finding faith in Jesus Christ. In the same way that the kindness of God through Jesus Christ drew us to himself, it is very often our kindness to those who are undeserving that opens up their ears so they can hear the truth. William Barclay wrote, and I think he's right, more people have been brought to Christ by the kindness of real Christian love than by all of the theological arguments in the world. And yes, and rightfully so, we spend a lot of time trying to understand the Bible, but why do we understand it? It's so that we might have the character of the one who wrote it. That's why. So take it home with you. Take this message home. How do you speak to your wife, to your husband? How do you speak to people at work? How do you speak to your family, to your neighbors? Would you say that you speak in such a way that recognizes that you have compassion for them, that you see their needs, that you are willing personally and sacrificially to help with those needs, even if they don't deserve it today? That's kindness. It's heard in the words we used. It's heard in our willingness to forgive. Can I say that in our relationships, especially our closest relationships, holding grudges and nursing anger and keeping that strife going, wanting to have the upper hand, all of those are works of the flesh. The fruit of the Spirit is seen through the kind gift of forgiveness. Let me ask you this question. Envision somebody really doing you wrong. They took a bunch of money from you. They said some really mean things to you. They've slandered you all around. What do you want? As you think about this person who's hurt you, what do you want? Do you say, I hope they pay for what they've done? Or do you say, I hope I get a chance to forgive them? One is the character of God and the other one is not. In Ephesians chapter 4, it describes life in the local church, and it begins with this wonderful list of qualities, that with all humility and gentleness, with patience, we are to bear with one another, to eagerly maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And the section ends with an equally beautiful list of things. It says, let all wrath, bitterness, and wrath, and anger, and clamor, and slander be put away from you, along with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted with one another, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. As I said, there are two real problems in local churches. One is anger, and we cover that with patience. And the other one is indifference. And we cover that with kindness. Patience is living with our brothers and sisters in such a way that we're, do you notice the word there? Tender-hearted towards them. That's compassion. And that compassion drives you then to see their need. 
And in this situation, the need is they need forgiveness from you. And you give them forgiveness in the same way that Christ has forgiven you. Say, there are some marriages that are stagnant and dying because there's not enough kindness to forgive one another. And there are local churches that have become cold and lonely places because there's not enough kindness to forgive each other and to be tender-hearted towards each other's needs. And there are friendships that have been broken and destroyed forever because there wasn't enough kindness to forgive each other just as Christ forgave us. <laughs> but then we learn from God. We learn from God that kindness is heard in the words we say. It's seen in our willingness to forgive. And then quickly, kindness is felt in our willingness to help. I found that the kindness of God and the kindness he wants from us is not just a nice quick smile or a simple word, but it's to be personally and sacrificially helping peoples in need. Let me illustrate it this way. What's, one of the things that kindness does is it shows what we value. Uh, let me ask you about the place you live. Maybe you live in a home or an apartment, something like that. But wherever you live, you pour a lot of your time and resources in, don't you? I mean, every month, you've got thousands of dollars going towards this place that you're living in. And you put a lot of time and effort into it. You maintain it. You clean it every now and then, don't you? <laughs> Hopefully. We put a, and sometimes it starts falling apart and we start putting more time and effort and money into it. Why? Because it's the most valuable thing that we own. That's why. And what kindness recognizes is that people are the most valuable things on the planet. And when we see the need in them, it's like our homes. When we see the need in them, we have compassion to say that needs some help. And I'm going to say the words and I am going to do the deeds even personally and sacrificially even if they don't deserve it because they're valuable to God. They have an eternal soul. That's the fruit of the Spirit, which is kindness. But here's the exciting thing about kindness. And that is, when it comes to the kindness of God, we have just begun to experience it. Oh, yeah, we experience it every day in the sun and the, and the rain. We experience it through his providential care. We have experienced it through his son Jesus' death and resurrection so that we are forgiven and have eternal life. And yet all of that is just the beginning of the kindness that God has for his people. There's this great verse in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 5 that says, By grace you've been saved. And has raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that, so that, all that kindness done. So that in the coming age, ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. In other words, what's going to happen in eternity is God's going to call together all of his creation and all of the angelic beings. And he's going to call them all together and he's going to say, look how kind I've been to them. 
I tell you, that's going to be a great party. A party in which we truly see how kind God has been to us. And he continues to be with us. And so I praise God for his kindness this morning. And I ask us to determine to reflect that kind of kindness in our world. But let me end by saying, not everybody is going to experience that party of kindness. Some people on the day of judgment are going to face the severity of God at a time in which there will be no opportunity for being grafted back in. No more opportunity to know the kindness of salvation. That time is now. The kindness of God is for today. And if you're here this morning and you have not accepted the kindness of God in Jesus Christ by putting your faith in Him, by repenting of your sins and turning, being wooed back to Him because of His kindness and accepting in Jesus Christ the only place from which we can be forgiven of our sins and have eternal life. If you need to do that this morning, respond to the kindness of God. Don't turn your back on it again. And if you're here this morning and you have not been expressing that kindness, may I ask you to pray and to repent and to change. If you need to respond to the gospel, why don't you as we stand and sing?